Hello, and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week we'll be discussing After Sun, Knock at the Cabin, and Alice Darling. I'm your host, Bill George, and with me as always is AJ Rebecca and super producer Craig Stanton. Hi, guys. What's going on, Bill? Gentlemen, hello. Two things. This is the earliest recording we've ever done at the time of recording it's 9 44 in the morning freakishly early a.m that's an a.m folks. bill's skin is glistening like a vampire in twilight <laughs> uh yeah this is an early one but you prefer a day recording aj you're not a night recorder at these at this point well what happens is if we do it at night i'm tired and then i'm like well i might as well drink and then i end up drinking heavily and then it just gets really sloppy and then yeah, no. We wanna, it's not good for you. We want to keep it tight. Yeah. Second thing is at the time of recording today, Thursday, February 9th, it is Bill's, no, it is Craig's <laughs> birthday. Wow. Happy birthday, Craig. Hooray. Happy birthday. How you feeling? Feel great. Feel great. Happy to be here. Yeah. Happy to be alive. You got any gray hairs yet? Oh, dude. <laughs> Yeah, do I coming in? Oh, <laughs> do I'm I? Just wondering. Well, silver fox action. I'm coming. not so much worried about the color. It's more about the the, the uh, density, the thinness. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, that'll yes. that'll get you. My primary concern, but that'll be on the uh, after show. Sure. Breakdown. Well, happy birthday, uh, Bud, and um, good luck to your. Um, I guess now they're your Eagles because you've now adopted Philadelphia sports teams with your uh, marriage. Um, so yep. go yep. birds, fly go birds, birds, baby, fly birds, caw. Whatever gets you there. <laughs> Bill, we got a heavy, a heavy episode today. Yeah, a lot to discuss. Uh, before we jump into a couple big news items, uh, I think it's worth reflecting. Last week we had uh, Melissa Childs as our special guest, uh, the first time we've ever had a guest. And uh, I want to thank her again for coming on and share that we've gotten a lot of positive feedback about her time in the show. A uh, friend of the show, Julia, sent me a message saying they loved Melissa's TV takes. Uh, I got a couple texts from others as well, so uh, really enjoyed having her on. Love that. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask you if we got any hate mail. I don't have access to the social media because I am a quote-unquote liability, so I'm glad to hear that <laughs> no one uh, no one had said anything nasty about our sweet, dear friend, Melissa. Nope, all positives, and uh, you know we're going to look at ways we can kind of bring her back into the fold every once in a, in a while to keep us, keep us honest in terms of TV talk. Uh, no one knows TV like childs. All right, Bill. Uh, in today's In the News segment, we have three just meaty, girthy stories to go over. The first one Big time. Uh, has to do with a place that you visit quite frequently. So AMC is officially going through with a plan that has been rumored for the last year. They will now charge an extra dollar for the best, most in-demand seats in their theaters. They will also charge up to $2 less for front row or poor viewing angle seats. The majority of seats will remain unchanged. Uh, A-list members are exempt from these changes in an effort to push more people to their subscription service. So I don't know why we're having your take in because you're completely not uh, involved in these changes. I have thoughts. I still have thoughts. So, Bill, we got a lot of people asking for your take on this one. So uh, what do you say? So my thoughts on this as an a-list member at the end of the day it's not really gonna bother me one it's not gonna bother me one way or the it's other. poor people's problems real let them eat cake situation <laughs> we got going on over here yeah exactly and like honestly if it leaves the more valuable seats uh around for me to grab up then the better so like wow this is off to a great start wow <laughs> so that's this that's the small selfish view but 
big picture, um, I, I don't love it. And the reason I don't love it is, I think, from like a tradition standpoint, like there was a certain artistry in when you arrive, which seats you want, getting there early, saving seats for others back in the day. Uh, and, and movies have always been a very democratic in that way. You pay the movie ticket and then what seat you get is is based on you and figuring it out and making it work. And it's like one of those of an ain't broke, don't fix it type of things to me. And and I don't understand why they wouldn't just if they're struggling, right? This is obviously a pure business move. Like they, there's no real spin you can say that's customer based on this. Like it is, it is for them to line their pockets. And if they're struggling, I get it. But like, why not just raise all ticket prices a dollar? You know, movies are already expensive. I don't think many people would notice as much. Or raise the concessions where everyone already expects to get gouged and they have the biggest profit margin. Like this, this feels phony to me versus just raising the ticket and everybody pays a little bit more versus making it specific to seats now but again from a business perspective i get it to earn more money uh, if they're struggling post-covid and i get it because it now puts them in line with every other business in the world in which they sell seats where better seats cost more but i know there's something special about the movies not being that so i don't know as a traditionalist i don't love it um, but i do understand it here's my thing it's an illusion that you have an option to get a better deal this is all this is it's an illusion because if you feel like you're in control of the tickets that you're buying and the places that you're going, you feel like you have control of your money and how you spend it, et cetera. They couldn't dump that extra um, oomph into concessions because people know that concessions are the biggest fucking ripoff in the entire world. So I feel like this thing is a way to get back to a better sense of profitability by, by putting the burden on the consumer that, makes them feel like they have a better decision on how they're spending their fucking money. And like poor seats, the first four rows of a movie theater, I don't care if it's a double deck or a single row, is straight fucking garbage. You can't sit there. Right. That that's why the their attempt to spin it as giving a customer options as if there are people who will benefit from this because they like to sit up front. Like may there might be a minuscule amount of people who are like, oh wow, I save a buck. But like it's so small that it's a, that's a slap in the face. Well, that's what I said, like bad viewing. It's not like it's Fenway Park and there's a fucking beam in front of you. You're at a movie theater that has nothing. Even the side seats after row, like six, eight, nine, ten. It's not bad. Again, it's just like another way that the prices are out outrageous to begin with and it's just another way for people to feel like okay that they're spending just a ridiculous amount of money to see something in theaters you think that a lot of people will legitimately look at the seating chart and pick the 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 one seat over from the more expensive seats yeah there's gonna be a good pop i would assume a a, a, a some part of the population will yeah sure i mean it's the same thing yeah. like if you go to concerts you brought it up is that if a lawn seat is $47 and then if I go into the seated section right in front of it and it's 72, I'm like, I'm just going to save the 30 bucks to be in the lawn, be able to kind of hang out, drink at my own leisure, you know, less stuffy. Move up towards the end once people start leaving or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing, too, with this whole debacle is what happens for the older people, like my parents' generation, that don't buy their tickets beforehand, that walk into the theater and like, oh, I saw that there's a 2.30 matinee for whatever. Do they bring up a seating chart and they're like, oh, for $2 less, you can actually sit over here? 
Well, two things on that. One, they do bring up the seating chart for people to pick their seats on a little screen if you're walking in. Um, but they did say that these specialized pricing for the seating was only after 4 p.m. That makes a difference, just to clarify. And I don't remember what they said about $5 Tuesdays, if it's effective there or not. But they did say it's after 4 p.m. So matinees should still be the same. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 overdue. It's like you said, it's in line with every other ticketing system in the entire world. I just hate how they position it, the fact that, like, let's help you save money when it's just a fucking money grab at the end of the day. I just, I just, it's sad. I mean, this has to do with aging, I guess. It's just sad that, like, a piece of my movie memories and movie history is goes out the window. Uh, that's, that's a real bummer to me, thinking about it. But again, I'm part of A-list. If they want to raise A-list a couple bucks to try to make up some more money, I think that would be f- be fair too. We're already the ones that are in on it. Yeah, juice the people who have clearly demonstrated that they're willing to pay more for right. more shit. And it's already a, a you know for me as someone who goes all the time, the value of it is insane. So like if they charge me five more dollars, I wouldn't I wouldn't blink an eye. Yeah, but you get twelve movies a month for twenty five dollars. Yes. So that's two bucks a movie. Yep. Yeah, jack up your fucking prices. You're gonna you're exactly. the guy who's going there a lot. If I only go to if I only go to two movies, I already make up the twenty five bucks essentially. If I versus two nighttime shows, what would you what would you be willing to spend a month on your on your pass? Uh, whatever they set. <laughs> I mean, this is all I do. Like this is my <laughs> this is my life. This is my hobby. Yeah, so this is, I'm not the person to ask. So you'd take, like, the amount of tickets minus, like, a 10% discount or something. like just you do, like, a 10 yeah, yeah, 15% okay. nut off? Okay. Which is, a, which is a demonstration of why the A-list members are the ones that you should juice here because they are the ones who are going to pay. Well, I think they're, I think the fear is, the, the, the real goal, I assume, of A-list is to get people into it so that then they, and then they only use it once or twice and they forget they even have it. And they buy the stuff that they make a lot of money on, which is the concessions and whatever. Or if they jack up the prices too much, people on A-list will be like, well, I only use this once or twice. I'm going to get out. Um, and then they lose that free revenue because they're probably making 25 bucks off people that don't even remember they have it. Don't you feel like this was an inevitability ever since movie theaters started going to assign seats? Like, didn't 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 the, the go in, walk to the front, turn upwards to look at all the seats to game out where you're going to sit with your date or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't that die, like, many, many years ago at this point? Yes, it is. This is a natural extension of that shift. Yeah, like, the assigned seating thing, like, it was just, in my opinion, like, just kind of a matter of time. I don't know. There's something about the first come, first served on on opening weekends that was like, I need to get there early. I need to get the best seat. Like, I need to muscle out people. Yeah, you got it. That 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 has yeah. died. That was that's a that's such a big part of my memories of movies growing up. Yeah, that's the traditionalist of me. Yeah, it's 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 it kills me. But this is our new reality. And unfortunately, we have to uh, pay to play take the world as we find it. Uh, next story, AJ. Deadline reports that Michael Jackson will be played by the late icon's 26-year-old nephew Jafar Jackson in a new biopic directed by Antoine Fuqua. Okay. The film is being made in coordination with the Jackson estate, Ugh. which gives the film the rights to the music, but has led some to question how protective they'll be in telling his story. Sure. Meanwhile, the director of the scathing anti-MJ documentary Leaving Neverland has condemned the film, saying, quote, no one is talking about canceling this movie, which will glorify a man who raped children. What the total absence of outrage tells us is that Jackson's seduction is still a living force operating from beyond the grave. End quote. What a quote. 
AJ, what do you think about the King of Pop getting the Hollywood biopic treatment? God damn it. I mean, it was a it was bound to happen. Yep. And we saw the success of the Elvis movie, which was endorsed by the estate. So all of the drugs, money, food, women were basically completely omitted for 99.9% of the movie. So it kind of puts a, a silver sheen on everything. Michael Jackson is undoubtedly one of the most influential people in music in the last 50 years. Okay? We all know that. Come on. Free Willy? Obviously. Fucking, what was the song for that? You are not alone. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, there we go. So, uh, yeah. And as you say, you have to separate art from artist. But when you're talking about a man's life, which a good portion of the end of his life was yeah. horrible for him, his family, and a lot of other families. Yeah, horrendous. Allegedly. I have to say allegedly because I think he never got convicted. Or at least not in criminal court. I think there might have been some civil cases. But like, how do you how do you gloss over all of that? Well, it's tricky because you also can't tell the story without the music. And they own... The music. Sure. Like, so, I mean, you could, but, like, would it really have as much impact? And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the <laughs> the complete opposite side of the spectrum in terms of uh, morality and people. But the Martin Luther King movie that did not have permission from their estate, they couldn't use any of his actual speeches or any of his actual Weird. words in that movie. And so they had to, like, write new ones. And, like, you can't exactly rewrite I Have a Dream. Like, it is what it is. Uh, like chat GPT, write a speech in the style of Martin Luther King. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so they told that story and like it was a good movie, but like it definitely lacked a certain punch because it didn't have that. So if they tried to tell MJ's story warts and all without the music, they could. I don't know how many people would show up versus you've put it. You put you put these songs in a trailer and you're going to get asses in the seats. I mean, it's just like the Bohemian Rhapsody movie. Like that's that's how this works. Yeah, but you, you think about the other ones too, like Bohemian Rhapsody. You bring that up; they didn't do a, they didn't do a great job with the realities of Freddie Mercury. But like they addressed. Well, that's what I imagine they'll do here too. The drugs, the men, the 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 depression. They did all of that, but with a softer hand. Yeah, with a softer hand. I mean, like he's allegedly like groomed and molested like. Dozens of kids, children. Yeah, it's a little different. It's a little different. You're right. Like, what the fuck? I think I think the el- the other the other part with glossing over in the Freddie story and in the uh, in the Elvis story is like self destructive, mega famous rock star is kind of a story that like people are familiar with, and you can kind of yada 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 over that part because like we've just seen it so many times. True. That like you don't. I don't think in that movie. I don't feel like they needed to like spend all this time being like, yeah, this person had some really like destructive habits and they got like spun out of control. And like in the case of Michael Jackson, like his uh, transgressions were not typical uh, to say the least of like yeah. just someone who's mega famous. I mean, s- some of his personal uh, other personal uh, issues like drug use and things of that nature were are continue to be, but like obviously the 
fucking child molestation aspect of it is not like, oh, yeah, that happens to everybody. And what's, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Not a typical fall from grace. <laughs> like, what's the end game here? You know, like, what's like the... <sighs> yeah, that that is a good point. Like, are, is Antoine Fuqua making this movie in the hopes to just depict it and let it and let the audience decide is there going to be a, a redemption element like probably not but like I, I don't know like i will have to see what the sort of theme is for the script also for the record i wrote a little paragraph on my statement on this and i just built in song titles from mj's catalog throughout the entire thing to see if anyone was going to catch it but now i feel stupid so i didn't end up doing it well go give me some give me give me some examples <laughs> Um, all right, I said, um, I understand both sides, but I don't think it's a black or white issue. Uh, I know when I read the first article, I immediately wanted to see it because it sounds like a thriller. But then reading the response to it, I felt bad. So I'm conflicted, and I need to start with the man in the mirror. <laughs> but I mean, when it comes to making a movie with this soundtrack, you can't beat it. <laughs> He'll be here all week, folks. Tip, tip your uh, waiters and waitresses. Jesus Christ, I'm glad you didn't do that. All right, let's move on to the last story, which I feel like we've been beating this dead horse for for months, and finally we have some answers on what's happening over in D.C. Tell me, AJ. Bill, D.C. finally has a plan. James Gunn, who is now helming the D.C. universe, has announced they will be rebooting everything from scratch, called it. Phase one of this plan, called Gods and Monsters, will be from 2025 to 2027, include five films. Superman Legacy, Batman and Robin, Swamp Thing, Supergirl, and The Authority. It will also include a handful of TV shows. The new D.C. will be consistent in casting and storyline across both film and television. Meanwhile... The Batman 2 and the Joker musical sequel uh, and a couple of movies that are already in the can uh, in the current DC EU will come out and be marked as Elseworld stories, um, just like the out of canon comics. So they're in their own separate world experience. They're, they're not related to the kind of main storyline that they're building with the new cinematic universe. Bill, what's your take? I feel like you've been chomping at the bit ever since James Gunn released James Gunn released that five minute talking head video where he basically rambled for nine minutes. Uh, go, what are we doing here? Uh, so it feels a little, it feels kind of too little, too late. But I also cannot count out the appeal of these characters. I mean, these characters have been around for nearly a century for a reason. Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, they have staying power, and if they find a way to tell these stories well then they will suck people back in just because of the appeal of the characters. I think the tricky part here is getting through the next few film releases. Because, uh, like, the casual fan is probably going to see a headline saying, DCU reboot, all new stuff, starting from scratch, and then they're going to go see the Aquaman movie come out, and it's going to have Jason Momoa and all the old people, and they're going to be like, what the fuck is this? Like, it feels pointless watching these next four movies knowing that they are not part of the future whatsoever. Um, and I know they have to for revenue and tax purposes, but it just it feels weird to make to to go see these next few movies. That's gonna be the hurdle they got to get everybody over, and then twenty twenty five starts saying, okay, now we're now we're serious. Have they confirmed of any of the current actors or actresses being uh, in the new DC cinematic universe? Um, like, is Ezra Miller the Flash now also going to be Ezra Miller the the Flash in the new... No, it sounds like not. It sounds like everything will be reset. I mean, 
talk about dodging a fucking bullet with that crazy yeah. asshole. Yeah, I think that's part. Of, that's probably got to be part of James's strategy. I assume. All right, I'll tell you though. I love the idea of them starting to have Elseworlds stories, like their own like label of Elseworlds, because this is the one thing that the MCU can't really do. The MCU has built themselves on everything is interconnected. Period, and so people are constantly looking for that, but. The idea that DC is going to say, no, we, we will allow some Elseworld stories. And it also, it opens the world to things like um, Gotham by Gaslight or Red Sun. Some of my favorite Bat, uh, Batman stories, Superman stories, some of my favorite DC stories are Elseworlds m- m- books. So the idea that like now they could make those and it wouldn't conflict with other stuff and it lets Pattinson keep doing his Batman, like it keeps that thing going. I think it's a smart move. It's just going to take some audience education for for the, the casual fan to know what that means. But for comic fans, I think it's great. I completely agree. And I think Marvel could have done it recently. I think they could have done that with something like Moon Knight. I feel like Moon Knight as a standalone Elseworlds Marvel cinematic story was fucking great. Now, as a person who loved the series, has to wait, I don't know, one, two, three, five, seven years, or not at all to see how that connects with the larger cinematic universe you mean moon knight back to the mcu yeah way waiting on that yeah Yeah, that's what i'm saying like it was great it made a huge impact on me i love the series but now i'm like well how does it tie into everything else yeah it's gotta be a bit but if you just said like oh it's part of a new you know elseworlds type thing it is what it is my take on it i called this i mean we kind of talked about a few months ago where it was like you get two options i was like fuck it scrap it reboot it wait a few years do it from the ground up i think elseworlds batman um, I'm still excited about uh, the Batman 2. I'm actually really excited about James Gunn's take on this new Batman storyline, which is actually based on uh, Grant Morrison's run. He had a, a, an amazing run, including uh, R.I.P. And um, the hope is that I'm reading into it is that we'll finally have, you know, with Batman and Robin, my hope is that it's Bruce and his son, Damian Wayne, who was you know, the the daughter of Bruce and played by Damon Wayne and Talia played by Damon Wayne. So I think there's a there's a huge amount of world building and pulling from great material from Grant Morrison and a whole bunch of other writers that will make this special. It just sucks that, like you said, a little too late. F- f- fucking another kind of investment too of time and energy. And then third, like you're losing some characters and casting that I really enjoyed. We know that Ezra Miller is a crazy fucking asshole. So like, whatever, dude, whatever, you're, you're good. But I, I loved Henry Cavill as Superman. And I'm, I'm both excited and nervous how a, he is recasted and B what framework that they build around, um, Superman. What point in his life are we following? Like, like what what's going on because i feel like james gunn has passed the origin story phase and now has to really dive deep into areas or times in these people's lives because we've seen so many reboots and so many kind of origin stories that we we don't need it anymore yeah well the the superman legacy movie is written by james gunn so he's definitely super invested in that one and and i trust him generally speaking so i'm excited for that um and it will be interesting to see a young Superman cast, as well as a new Batman to, to join Pattinson, uh, in a sense, uh, a younger one. As far as the cast that we're losing, I agree Henry Cavill was great and unfortunately wasted. Um, and I think Gal Gadot 
is fantastic as Wonder Woman, and we're going to have to reboot that too. And here's my my bet right now, my prediction. Young Wonder Woman will be recast as uh, or by uh, Jenna Ortega. That's my pick. She's like... Put the bet in. She's young. She's like the, the hot item uh, in Hollywood right now. Like, I think Jenna Ortega is going to be their pick for for new rebooted young Wonder Woman. Put it, put it in and you're guaranteed a cash ticket from Bill. Okay. Yep. Uh, anything that they've announced that you're like, uh, meh, meh. Well, I'm, I, the, the, the only one that jumped out, I mean, was the authority. I, I mean, I'm a pretty above average, I would say, knowledge of comics, and I've never heard of that group. But apparently the authority is some Suicide Squad type group of people from the DCU that I've never heard of. So that one was kind of a weird question mark. Um, but other than that, um, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to whatever they put out, assuming that uh, they get it right. Yeah, the way that I read into it was at the core of it, the Suicide Squad is uh, mercenaries, but they all kind of have this um, like angry mailman with a heart of gold type character uh, trope that they're like, hey, like there's actually some they actually can see right from wrong and they're, they're they, there's some moral compass there. I'm assuming that the authority is actually the opposite where they're the good guys, but they're doing the saving in a way that is just not so, um, uh, it's kind of frowned upon, you know, it's kind of the, the opposite of the suicide squad. But I mean, that that's James Gunn's bread and butter is, is putting together a, a group like, like that first guardians movie is still one of the best MCU movies of all time. I mean, that's magic how they can take those four characters, introduce them in one movie and still have you feel like, you know and love all of them after two hours. So that's his his bread and butter. So I would not be surprised if the authority ends up being great. All right. Uh, today we'll be talking about th- uh, three movies in the Should I Go See It segment. After Sun, Knock at the Cabin, and Alice Darling. Uh, according to imdb.com, Aftersun, uh, Sophie reflects on the shared joy and private melancholy of a holiday she took with her father 20 years earlier. Memories real and imagined fill the gaps between as she tries to reconcile or reconcile the father she knew with the man she did not. Bill, should I go see it? Uh, yes, I gave it a yes. Um, it you know it topped many of the best of 2022 lists, and I always felt bad I didn't get to see it within that window. Um, that being said, I wouldn't put it in my top list, but it was still very good, and it's now uh, on iTunes, which is how I rented it. It didn't resonate with me as much as it did with others, based on what I've been reading and, and other reviews. But I understand what they see in it, uh, and I wouldn't want to w- give it a no to wave people off of what could be a very powerful film for them even if it wasn't super powerful for me but i still thought it was very good um like you said it's about a divorced father and and his daughter and they're on vacation in turkey um and he had uh, her very young and like they actually get confused her brother and sister at one point at the resort um so it's a young dad trying to kind of figure out his life like he's struggling to be his own whole human being but now also be a father and it's kind of at odds um and it also has a coming-of-age element for the daughter as she kind of realizes that her dad is a person with his own faults and not, you know, a superhero. Um, and it's a very naturalistic movie, very cinema verite, a lot of handheld. They splice in some handycam footage. This whole thing takes place in the 90s, so there's no tech besides, like, handycams, Walkmans, like, definitely of its era. So it's kind of got, like, a Florida Project meets mid-90s vibe. And it's good. I mean, it's um, the pacing's a little slow. 
Uh, no doubt about that. Again, very naturalistic. So you're just kind of watching two people on vacation. It's all about just sort of reading the characters. Uh, some scenes I feel like held a little longer than necessary, which kind of what made the pacing feel slow. But overall, really strong, uh, really strong movie. It's not not a lot happens. It's more of a vibe movie. Um, but it was it was very well done. Hour forty two minutes, a twenty four films. I mean, both things are just really uh, good in this day and age. Uh, t- Proxies for quality. Yeah, tight script in a good uh, a good studio behind it. Um, it seems like after I'm reading the uh, a more in depth storyline and seeing the characters, there's probably a good amount of people that will probably cry watching this film. Correct? Yeah, I'd say so. It- yeah, <laughs> it seems like a sad one. <laughs> it, I mean, yeah, it's emotional for sure. You mentioned it's A24 as well, uh, and it definitely has that vibe of an A24 movie like Moonlight or um, something like that. But I wanted to use this also as an opportunity real quick to talk about A24 because I feel like to the the casual person, I think there are some people out there who think that A24 is making all of these movies that say A24 or that the same people are making all these movies that say A24. And so I just want to clarify for, for, for anybody is like A24, they do do some production. There is a production arm of A24 at this point that make their own movies, but they are generally a distributor, which means they will go to festivals and find movies that they feel match their brand. They will buy them, the rights to them, and then they can sell them to exhibitors, which is like AMC is an exhibitor because they exhibit the movie. Um, and A24 has just become a brand that is very, very good at what it does in terms of picking movies that match its own uh, brand. It's almost like a record label in that way, it seems like. Right. And so this is definitely in that A24 vein. And they are now known for these type of like slow burn, vibey, like close to the ground real life movies uh, and elevated horror. Like those are like now the two things that A24 has laid claim to. And so this is definitely in that in that brand. But I just want to kind of clarify that because I do I, I feel like there are some people out there who now that A24 has become its own sort of brand out in the world, they think of it as A24 is making all these amazing movies. And it's like, well, it's not quite the case. Um, uh, production and distribution are two different things. When we talk about producing, right? They, they've only done a few actual full production of movies. Uh, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once was produced by them. Hereditary, Lady Bird, Moonlight, and Uncut Gems was produced all in-house by their kind of film studio. Everything else? Yeah, well, none of those movies are any good, so who gives <laughs> Yeah, I know. What a, good, what, a, what a shitty list. And then most everything else was distributed by them. So you think of like... Uh, the whale, Marcel the Shell. Um, I mean, there's a, a I guess million Midsummer, of, Midsummer. And yeah, all yeah. of these ones, you know, are just you know distributed by them. So it's good call out, Bill. Yeah. Uh, second film, we're gonna leave M Night for the end. We're gonna be talking about Alice Darling, and according to IMDb.com, a young woman trapped in an abusive relationship becomes the unwitting participant in an intervention staged by her two closest friends, starring your one of your favorite. Anna Kendrick and coming in at mm-hmm. just a nice clean one hour and 29 minutes. Bill, Anna, oh. Woo! Hot Wings, <laughs> recently on Hot Wings. Should I go see it? Uh, yes. And uh, the first note I have literally says 90 minutes because <laughs> it oh. is just, oh. you love to see it. Um, so just, good. just tight storytelling. It's great. I mean, Anna Kendrick plays a woman in a troubled relationship, as you alluded to. At this point, 
in the film when we meet her, she is essentially scared of her boyfriend, Simon. Like, she feels like she has to lie to him. She gets panic attacks. Um, and, you know, communication, AJ, uh, is the cornerstone of any relationship. Once you stop sure talking, once you can't be honest, like, it's over. And, and you know, I could talk for days about relationships I'm not in. But we... <laughs> But the point is, without that communication, <laughs> there's issues. Uh, and so we see that in this movie. Uh, Fantastic. And it's almost like, if you remember the Elizabeth Moss Invisible Man movie? Yeah. It's like the subtext of that movie is the text of this movie. Like, it's about an abusive relationship. Um, he's not overtly abusive. Like, you don't see it physically. But he makes passive-aggressive comments. You can tell by the way she reacts to him that there's history there, which we end up cutting to in some flashbacks. Um, and so with all that said, you know, it's it can be a difficult thing to watch. It's an uncomfortable movie for sure. But it could also be very important for some people. Um, and it allows Anna Kendrick to play her most nuanced performance I think she's ever had. She's fantastic in it because she gets to show so much more range than the usual... Like, she's usually in rom-coms, or she's just the friend, or the lead in the rom-com often, too. But she's just kind of, she's always likable. She's always uh, high energy, all this stuff. So now you get to see her in a more grounded performance, and she's great. So I saw her talking about this uh, on on Hot Ones, and then we're talking about it now. The big question that I had in movies like this, where it's like a psychological trauma, and like someone who's like, you know, dealing with some shit. How far do they push the envelope? Like, does she ever get into a point where you're like, oh my God, like that scene right there could nominate her for best actress? Or is it just constant kind of good, average kind of acting that never really goes to a point where you're like, holy shit, like she's on the edge or she just fell off the edge and like we're watching her kind of hit rock bottom. It's not that type of movie, I would say. It is a much more subtle depiction and a much more true-to-life depiction. There is no Oscar clip, so to speak, like there used to be, where it's like someone just like freaking out. Um, but it is much more nuanced than that. Um, because it like even stuff like it depicts text culture as well and how that factors into these relationships nowadays. So like particularly emotionally abusive ones where like he's texting her or asking for photos or like it's which is a whole new you know, or a newer thing. And it also shows how these types of relationships can affect the person around, the people around this person, like how it interferes with friendships. Um, so a lot of it is very subtle stuff where she's with her friends and they ask a question about him and the way she answers is it kind of gives, you can kind of tell there's something off there. Um, so it's not a big flashy um, Oscar clip movie, no. Um, and just also for anyone looking at it, for some reason, the the description listed as like a taut thriller, which is not accurate. Um, so don't get it mistaken. It is. Um, it's an untaught thriller. It's a loose. Thriller. <laughs> it is. It is just. It's not an easy watch, um, but it could be a meaningful one for a lot of people. But just be prepared going in. Psychological drama. Could that be the best? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Cool. For sure. For sure. All right. Last one. Uh, a huge fan 
of our, ours, uh, M. Night Shyamalan's new film, Knock at the Cabin. Uh, while Vic- Wait, he's a huge fan of ours, or we're a huge fan of his? We're a huge <laughs> fan of his, yeah. We are. So according to IMDb.com, while vacationing, a girl and her parents are taken hostage by armed strangers who demand that the family make a choice to avert the apocalypse. Uh, massive star-studded cast. An hour and 40 minutes. It's Shyamalan. Bill, should I go see it? I gave it a yes. And I think that M. Night continues his latter career resurgence here, basically ever since Split, The Visit, Old. Like, he's been doing some better work in the latter part of his career versus the middle of his career when he tried to do Hollywood blockbusters and it failed miserably. Um, So I gave it a yes. Is it my favorite M. Night movie? No. Um, But I still felt uh, it was strong enough that it's it's worth watching. I don't like the, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't like the apprehension in your voice. You feel like you're like you're you're disappointed. There's a level of disappointment. Here. Well, so let me let me take you through it. So you mentioned, and we can't, go, and we know we can't go too far because all Shyamalan movies are they got the twist, they got the rug pull. Yeah, I'm not going to get super into the story. Like you said, it, it is an interesting premise. The four strangers basically invade a cabin that's being vacationed by a gay couple and their adopted daughter, and they tell them that they must pick a f- member of their family to sacrifice to prevent the apocalypse. Um. And so home invasion, first of all, is very difficult to write. And I usually don't buy it because people all of a sudden stop acting like human beings or they make decisions that are just for story purposes and don't feel real. But I actually did not really bump on that much in terms of dis- character decision making. I thought the home invasion element was actually written pretty well. So I was very impressed by that. He joined. I read that he joined a whole bunch of like robbers and people to make sure that he understood how it really went. No way. Really? Wait, no. what? <laughs> I was going to say, are you fucking kidding me? I was like, wait, what? Yeah, he put a Craigslist ass looking for people about to rob houses to understand how it works. Well, he could talk to convicted home invaders or something. I thought that's what you meant. Anyway, anyway. um, So I didn't love where the story ended up going, which is why I'm a little hesitant. But that being said, the movie kept me thinking and engaged the entire time. Like it keeps riding the line and of like, again, is this real? Is this not basically is what it boils down to is, are these people, do they really need to sacrifice someone to avoid the apocalypse or are these invaders just crazy? And like, you're kind of riding that line the entire movie and it keeps you guessing. So that in and of itself kept me entertained and engaged. So your mileage may vary in terms of where it ends up landing. Um, and I felt like by the end, what they left ambiguous, I still had some questions about. And what they did clarify, I would have had them rather leave ambiguous. Like, I had some concerns there. But throughout the experience, um, I was fully, fully engaged in it, which is why I gave it a yes. Sure. I have a question. Yes. Did they give Jonathan Groff any musical numbers? And if so, please rate them against uh, his performances from Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be packed. <laughs> uh, he does sing along with music in the film. Wow. Yes. He doesn't have a full-on... There is no full-on musical number. Okay. But they do sing in the car. Yeah, yeah. Does Anna Kendrick do the cup song while she's crying about like a, her psychopath boyfriend? <laughs> no, she does not. There's no... Well, actually, there is some singing along in the car in that movie, too. Yep, actually. Yeah, we're two for two. Uh... One last question before we move into uh, Netflix and Bill. Yep. Do I have to watch it in the theaters, or can I just wait for it to come on video on demand? I don't know that there's a... I know that hurts your soul. I mean, I said yes, as in you should go see it, but 
need to. Like, I don't know that it would make a super measurable difference. I will say from a technical perspective, it's very well shot. It's shot on film. A lot of close-ups. Good focus, AJ. The focus is clear throughout the film. You'll enjoy that. Um, <laughs> is it vibrant, too, or is it that, like, muddy, wash, almost log footage um, type thing? Like, is it graded well? Like, are the, are the colors there? I would there? say so. I would say so. I didn't, I didn't. You give him his focus and he just wants more. I'm just saying everything nowadays, out of focus. It's shittily grayed. It's got this weird <laughs> yeah. fucking just mud over the lens. Yeah. The, the music, up. the music was fine, but it <laughs> felt a little blah compared to M. Night's usual collaborations with James Newton Howard. Cause this is a different person that did the music for this one. And it didn't really pop as much as some of the Howard scores we've, we've seen in the past. Um, and the last thing I'll say from a technical, technical perspective, the performance of, uh, Dave Bautista is outstanding. I mean, all the performances are good, uh, really good, but he stands out. And I think Batista is truly a more versatile actor um, than we have given him credit for up till now. Like he is so much more than just Drax. And I am very excited for him to like get more complex roles as he's, as his film career continues to grow. Hot take, hot take the rock out Batista uh, in. in. Yep. Mm-hmm. So hot right now. Rock's so fucking right out. Yep. All right, Bill, Netflix and Bill, uh, let's wrap this up. What have you been watching? Because I feel like we're both, well, all three of us are probably watching the exact same things. Uh, Last of Us, AJ, it's the, it's it's my be all end all right now. It's the reason I live is to, is to get to Sunday to watch the next Last of Us. Um, we talked about it before, so we don't need to go super in depth, but I will say it since we last spoke about it, it has been renewed for season two. And they did confirm that the story of the game, the original game, will fit within season one. Because I know that was something we were questioning before. So presumably then, if they go they're to season hop two, on that horse. If they go to season two, they're going to go to uh, The Last of Us Part Two, I would imagine. And hopefully they will do multiple seasons because that game is so much longer than the first game. But uh, yeah, I'm still loving it. The most recent episode was more of a table setting situation than it didn't have the same punch as the first three. But I still have loved all of it. And they're still doing great pulls directly from the game that I appreciate. And it's outstanding. I love it. I read a fucking hilarious tweet about episode episode three, the episode. With Ron Swanson. With Ron Swanson. (laughs) Yes. Nick Offerman. And the tweet was basically like, hey, remember how awfully sad the beginning of the Pixar movie Up was? Yeah, it was like extended to extended to an hour and a half, make it the end of the world with a, with an aging gay couple, and I was. Like, <laughs> it's pretty close. It's pretty close. <laughs> it's pretty close. Yeah, uh, that, was a, that was a tough one to watch. Uh, I assume that Nick, the writing team, the production team, the director will probably all get best episode sure. uh, oh, nods yeah. yep. in next year's Emmys for for that one. I will say that uh, since the last time we spoke on this podcast. I have also started watching Last of Us and I'm enjoying it thoroughly. I have shockingly little knowledge about any video game, certainly this one. So my role here on the podcast is going to be the neutral observer of Last of Us with no preconceived notions of the story or any cutscenes or like whatever. I'm literally just watching it as a show. I will say that my original take on it was like, oh, it's kind of like Walking Dead and Bill like spat on the ground when uh for me drawing that comparison and let me just tell you four episodes in it is quite a bit like the walking dead the first season of walking dead and that's not a slight i many people myself included enjoyed that season in the first couple seasons of walking dead so 
just relax. Mm-hmm. It's fine. I think it's a good comparison if you're describing this show to other people who may have enjoyed uh, a previous zombie apocalypse type program. And uh, no, I'm enjoying it quite a bit, though. It's tense as hell. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm ready for Friday, baby. Let's go lock and load. Uh, AJ, I started I, I started Abbott Elementary since our last podcast at the behest of special guest Melissa Childs. I, I did, too. Oh, you did too. How far are you? Uh, four or five episodes in the first season. Uh, yeah, I'm at I'm at six yeah. or seven in the first season at this point. Uh, it's good. It's good. I think the first season of any show, it takes a little bit for the characters to kind of get into their realm and their flow. For sure. The 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 problem. It's not a problem. My biggest knock is that as most other millennials, my two most watch shows of all time are The Office and Parks and Recreation. And this is just basically another version of the mockumentary style show. Mm-hmm. And the characters mm-hmm. are good, but I just see so much of the other characters that I've come to know and love that I just feel like it's a little bit of a, a rinse and repeat. Now, there are some instances and in, in some shots and in, in kind of scenes that are straight up hilarious, especially ones with the principal. I'm just trying to get like, I'm trying to separate um, my my love for these two other shows from this show and giving it a fair chance. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, it's a little tough to do. I feel like that, again, could be the first season element of it where, you know, once they get their own sort of cadence, their own vibe, building these characters up, and this environment up, it might start to separate itself with with confidence in their in their characters versus feeling like it is a recreation of some or amalgamation of some other ones. We'll see. I was gonna say the episode that I recently watched is when they bring they're talking about unions and like the union clashes in like the eighties, and then they bring in like the, <laughs> they bring in the mobster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the mob guy. I thought that was fucking hysterical. Yeah, I've been I've been enjoying it. I uh i've been laughing a lot there's a couple like sight gags and stuff that have just been hilarious that have just got me laughing so i've been enjoying it it's it's one of those shows that like i'll throw on one or two episodes while i'm you know waiting to for dinner to cook or whatever it may be like it's kind of it's not something that i'm like oh my god i need to watch the next one and like binging but it's but it's one that i definitely enjoy throwing on when i have 20 minutes to watch an episode um and i drive enjoyment from it so yeah good pick from melissa uh, last show I think we've all been watching is uh, Apple TV show called Shrinking. I fucking love this show. I've been a Jason Siegel fan since like day one. I think he's one of the most underrated comedic actors, comedy drama, dramedy actors. Um, I love the show. I love how it's paced. I love the music. I love all the characters. I love Harrison Ford as this like really uh, grumpy old man shrink. I just I find it fun. I think it's a fun show. Got to agree. I've been enjoying it quite a bit as well. I'll tell you, it's a freaking indie rock. It's extravaganza. Oh, so, sure is. <laughs> so sure if is. you are, if you have any interest in uh, indie rock bands from the mid aughts and wondering what they've been up to for the last ten years, let me tell you, they've been writing music for this show: Little Death Cab, Little Vampire Weekend, Little Sufjan Stevens. We got the whole gang. Vampire Weekend, one of my favorite bands of all time. The first two episodes both each had a Vampire Weekend song, and I was two for two. I was very excited. A lot of cardigans. Lotto cardigans. Not the band, although maybe they'll make an appearance as well. All right, Bill, uh, really quickly to wrap this up, 
uh, what movies you're going to be watching in the next few weeks? I have tickets secured for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, the next uh, proper D- MCU, I almost said DCU, MCU movie coming out. Uh, and uh, I also have tickets to see Cocaine Bear. Oh. Woo! So that'll be a fun one, I hope. If it's not fun, then something's gone horribly wrong. <laughs> Speaking of Ant-Man, the next Creed movie is coming out uh, in a few short weeks where uh, Jonathan Majors will be playing Damian Anderson. I showed Bill a couple behind-the-scenes clips from it in the trailer. Holy motherfuck. Muscle Beach, dude. Basically, if you took <laughs> these like, guys are stacked. Oh, also, by the way, speaking of uh, February 9th birthday, it's Michael B. Jordan. Happy birthday, bro! Oh, what up? What up, MB? Um, <laughs> I googled it while you guys. Jonathan Majors looks like you put like three fucking trash barrels together, taped them up, and then just injected them with Trend. He is just a fucking animal. <laughs> what does that mean? You know exactly what it means. <laughs> When he was when he was shirtless in Lovecraft Country, I was like, "Holy shit!" And then and now this is like fucking three x that. My biggest <laughs> criticism of Lovecraft Country was that it was not accurate because if it was accurate, every scene that he was in, he should have been doing push ups or sit ups or something. Because there's no way, there's no way he could have that <laughs> he was physique. Too jacked. He was too jacked for that show. He is just straight up fucking unnatty yoked and he was on a thing and he was like telling how he did it and it's like bro that is not a human body does not become that natural from just eating chicken rice and working out for six hours a day yeah you're gonna be a machine but he is different. <laughs> are you questioning his workout techniques that he shared with men's health or whatever no i'm questioning that he's that he's not injecting things into his butt cheeks well i mean hey now, there's no drug testing in hollywood baby let her rip tom hardy said he never did it refused to do it and i believe that i think homie just lifted a lot and ate just a shit ton of carbs and pizza jonathan majors just it doesn't look realistic it doesn't really look realistic you mean natural Natural, natural. You think Tom Hardy's Bane, you buy, but you don't buy this? 100%, yeah. 100%. Okay. I mean, I'm no, I'm not an expert. I don't know. Now, I'm not Tom Hardy's traps in War, and Tom Hardy's traps in Warrior and how he was built in Warrior. Oh, I don't know about that. He must have been shrugging dumpsters for fucking days at a time. His traps are massive. We'll rank our top five best trap. This has been Trap Talk. Trap Talk. Uh, (laughs) Bill, take us away. Thank you for listening to the Should I Go See It podcast. Uh, Please make sure to tell your friends to follow us on Instagram at Should I Go See It. Should I Go See It.